0: Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Let me say this. Um, If you are not intentional... In your pursuit of Christ, you will not, it's like deciding to be more healthy. If you are not intentional with that, then you will be in the same place you were last year. You'll get to 2025 and look back and be like, I'm no different than I was. Let me invite you. Let me ask you to come alongside these guys and say, "I want to make a move for Jesus Christ," and maybe a move that's that's a little scary for you. Um, <clears throat> so, for for mine, um, I uh, wrote down the idea that I would intentionally invest in the dreams and <clears throat> dreams and goals and development of others. Uh, so I've, I've shared with many of you guys before. Um, if you haven't figured out yet, I can be a bit of a diva. I love to be on stage. I love attention. Even if it's bad attention, I just bring it on. Um, I just love attention. Um, and the Lord has been dealing with me about, just about that. And he wants me to not focus on a specific goal for myself, but he wants to say, why don't we, why don't we have you think about what other people's goals are. It doesn't have not even necessarily related to one of these goals you're writing down on these business cards, but <clears throat> my, my wife will have a, have a goal or a dream and I'll be like, I don't want to do that. Or I'm not interested in that to invest in seeing, you know, her dreams and her goals and you guys' dreams and your goals. I want, I want to help you. So you're certainly a part of that. Um, Pray and ask the Lord what, what he'd have you to do. Let me, let me, let, let me pray. Um, thank you to, to David and Chris for being willing to share. It's a, it, it is accountability. Once you say it out, loud, once you're on stage and you say it out loud, you're like, Oh man, it, it is, it is. So thank you guys for being bold enough to do that. Let me pray that, uh, that you guys will be able to, um, move forward in your walk with the Lord. Um, dear father, thank you for giving us 2024. Um, there are many, many people who didn't make it to 2024. Um, Thank you for giving us 2024. Help us not to waste it. Help us not to waste it. Help us to take and be intentional. What do you want each of us to do in 2024? Help us that those things to be heavy on our hearts and then help us to, um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, accomplish those things. In Jesus name, amen. Uh, So uh, on uh, September 11th, uh, 2001, um, a woman named Tanya Head was working for Merrill Lynch. Uh, chairing a meeting on the 78th floor of the, of the South Tower when the first plane uh, struck the North Tower. Uh, she remembers being afraid for the life of her, uh, her fiancé who actually worked in the North Tower um, as a consultant. So obviously it wasn't very long before she had to be afraid for her own life because the second tower was struck um, and her life was in danger too. So she was burned but still conscious. And she reports, you know, just as you can imagine, a horrifying, horrifying things, seeing horrifying things as she's trying to escape. So one man she comes upon is, is is just badly wounded. Just he's he's going to die. It's covered by rubble. Um. So that man takes off his wedding ring and gives it to Tanya, requesting her to give give his wedding ring to uh, to his wife. Um, so she reluctantly takes his ring and continues to look for safety when she's met by a man named um, Wells Crowther. Um, he's an investment trader and a volunteer fireman. Uh, he led her to safety, but he ends up actually losing his life, saving others. Um, <clears throat> so once she's out of the building, she claps, um and woke. she woke up six days later in a hospital burn unit only to find out that her fiance uh, had been killed in the attack. So from that day forward, from that day forward, Tanya dedicates her life to caring for other victims of the tragedy, people who were affected by this tragedy. so she brings awareness, um, she hosted fundraisers, uh, dinner events, uh, just all, her whole life is just dedicated to bringing attention to the the, the people who um, suffered during nine eleven so she used her own money she used her own money to to um, to fund specialized trauma experts to come in and to take care of the people who had experienced this. So she leveraged all, everything she had, everything she had to create passion and urgency for caring for the survivors of 9-11. So when you have, Passion and urgency for something that's really important to you, it's super difficult to pass on that urgency to somebody else. Like, you, something that you feel amped up about and super aggressive about, you have urgency for it. It's really hard to pass that urgency on to somebody else. It doesn't have to be something huge like, a, like you know, the survivors of 9-11. It doesn't have to be something huge like that. It's just in your own family, you feel urgently about something, and the rest of your family members are like, eh about being on time, you you feel urgently about being on time, and the rest of your family members are, like, kind of strolling out, and you're like, what are you doing? Or uh, about picking up socks. You you feel urgently about picking up socks, or keeping them, and, and the rest of your family is like, who cares about that? I mean, or making your bed. You feel urgently about making, and nobody else cares about making beds in your family. And you, when you try to pass on your urgency about the thing that you're passionate about, sometimes that turns into anger and yelling and meanness and guilt. And amazingly, your family still doesn't feel that urgency. They're like, "We, well, you're very angry, but I... <laughs> Maybe there's something you feel urgently about that you've tried to pass on to somebody else, and it's very frustrating when you can't pass it on. Great leaders, great leaders are really good at helping the people around them sense and act on the right amount of urgency for the situation in front of them. So in the book of Luke, Jesus, Jesus shows up and begins his ministry, and he's attempting to communicate this urgency for the kingdom of God. Jesus is the best leader you know, the world's ever known, and he cannot do it. <laughs> he cannot do it. He can't pass on this urgency for the kingdom. Like Nobody understands it. Nobody wants to have any part of it. People want to fight with him about it. Um, so Jesus tries to say it in every way possible. He tries to say it in a hundred different ways. And he still can't pass on the urgency, urgency that he feels for the kingdom. And I think, I think the kind of urgency that Jesus wants to pass on is, it just would be described like this. Serious and persistent thinking that leads to focused and timely action. I think that's how he would describe how he feels about the kingdom. Seri- he wants you to think seriously and persistently about the kingdom, and he wants that thinking to lead to action. Jesus wants people to feel that way about the kingdom, and they're just not finding he's, you know, he's not finding traction. Attraction that he might want them to. So last week we read a story that Jesus shared about how a wealthy man was distracted by the idea of accumulating stuff, um, and it destroyed his urgency for the kingdom. So Jesus told um, these kinds of stories as a call to action. So the point of the story isn't that death could come at any time because the man basically he he accumulated all this stuff and then he died. The point of the story isn't that death could come at any time, although it could. The point of the story is urgency—the urgency of the moment, urgency for the kingdom—and and, and we are foolish to invest in in things that are so short-lived. So it, it would be like this. It would be like this. Think of, think of it thinking like this. Maybe this will help us get in this headspace. Um, think of if you were you were standing outside of the big house, outside of um the University of Michigan's uh, football stadium, while a game was going on. And it was a game that you really, really wanted to go to, um, but you didn't have a ticket. And so you stood out there listening to the crowd roar and being excited, and you, you, you wanted to be so much a part of it. And you, you did that the whole game until like there's only like a, less, less than a minute left. When that minute hits, someone comes up to you and says... Hey, I, I got a ticket I could I could give you. Oh, sweet! I'm gonna you run in there. It's it's five hundred dollars. Would you pay five hundred dollars when there's only when there's less than a minute left in the game? Of course not. That would be silly. That would be silly for you to pay that for something that's going to end so quickly. Right. Jesus tells the story in hopes of passing on his urgency to his listeners. He's saying, investing your resources in something that's going to end so quickly is silly, it's silly. If the story of the rich man is about what we are not supposed to do, Jesus tells a story in Luke 16 about what we should do. I'm going to combine a couple of different versions of the same story because I, I want you to get a real feel for what Jesus actually said. So, Bear with me. It says, Jesus, Jesus says this. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job, I'm not strong enough to dig. And I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose, so, so that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, "How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil?" he, re- he replied. The manager told him, "Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450." Then he asked the second, "How much do you owe?" A thousand bushels of wheat. He replied, he told, he replied, he told him, take your bill and make it 800. So at this point in the story, um, Jesus' audience, you know, would have been thinking, this is why you're getting fired, right? You're, you, you can't be trusted. You're self-seeking. Um, you're a person who's only looking out for himself. This is why, you, this is why you're getting fired. Um, and, and at this point, though, Jesus does something really strange in this story, though. Here's what he says. And the master praised the dishonest steward because he had acted wisely. The children of this world, you see, are wiser than the children of light when it comes to dealing with their own generation. So, I, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into in eternal dwellings. Uh, this story has always made me super uncomfortable Uh, my my entire life when I read it. uh, Jesus is praising the behavior of a manager who's cheating his boss out of extra money so that people will like him more. And it feels feels at odds with what what I know about Jesus. Um, It it seems to be everything uh, that Jesus is against. Uh, So what are we supposed to learn from, from this story that Jesus tells? So often when... Uh, we think of stories that Jesus tells, we think of them in this way. Um, there's a person in the story who represents God or and or there's a per- person in the story that represents this is how you're supposed to behave. What if in this story, there's no character that represents God and there's no character that we're supposed to directly follow or copy? So when Jesus tells this story, certainly his audience would have felt you know yucky about the dishonest manager, like we feel yucky about him. Jesus, he calls him wise. He calls him wise. Most versions of the Bible use the word shrewd instead of wise. And, and the reason why they do that is because uh, it, it seems confusing. Uh, for, it's confusing for Jesus to say, hey, this guy's stealing from his boss. He's wise. It doesn't make sense. But the word that Jesus actually used is wise. The word that he actually used in, their, in, in this audience is wise. You've cheated your boss out of money. You've been wise. So what does Jesus want us to learn from this story that he tells? Um, I would make the case that it's this. Urgency of the moment. The urgency of this moment that I'm in right now. Think about it. Think about this. When you've lost your job, if you've ever lost your job, and if you haven't, you certainly can imagine this. When you've lost your job or you're about to lose your job, you can barely think of anything else. You can barely think of anything else. And in most cases, you know, you were propelled to action. I've got to find another job. You start calling around and you start getting your resume ready. Jesus says, that is the urgency I'm looking for. (laughs) That kind of urgency, that is what I'm looking for when I'm talking about the kingdom of God. The the urgency, when you lose your job, that urgency comes natural to you. No one has to, to tell you, typically. The manager's losing his job, and he's clever enough and desperate enough to use whatever resources he has to, at his disposal to secure his immediate future. Now, when he loses his job, he's got people who owe who owe him something, people who like him maybe because he's been willing—you know—he's willing to help them. To understand what Jesus means, let's it, let's think of it in a different way. I've said this before. Um, we we talked about how Jesus' stories are what we might call "how much more" stories. If you remember that. Jesus would say something like, um, if your dad, uh, you ask your dad for a fish, he would never give you a snake because your dad, would. Get, he wants to give you good gifts. And then he says this, how much more would your heavenly father give you good gifts? In our story today, that Jesus is telling, he's not saying imitate the character of the manager in the story. He's saying, The manager is urgent and shrewd and aggressive and creative about figuring out this job situation, and it's very, very temporary. How much more should you be urgent and aggressive about the kingdom of God? that's going to last forever. Jesus says two things at the end of the story that show us this. First, he says this. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. He's saying, there's lots of smart people in the world, um, and they're really good with money. They're really shrewd with money. They're very wise. They're aggressive. They think about it all the time, and they're clever about how to make more of it. And that's cool. That's cool. Sometimes it's a little illegal, but it's cool, right? But Jesus says, they're better at managing money and making more money than Jesus followers. They're, They're more aggressive at it than the people of the light. But Jesus would say, in the big scheme of things, who cares? Who cares? It's not going to matter. Jesus says this, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. He says, yeah, um, the manager, he's smart and he's shrewd and he's aggressive. So if that dude was that bold and that clever and that urgent about resources that won't matter in just a few years, how much more should you use your resources to make friends by investing in people? Because your resources here will fail. They will fail. And when they do, you will have traded them for something that will last forever. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. Jesus is saying, you need help with how you manage your resources here. You've lost your urgency, but I'm telling you how to have a home and a place to live with, with all the joy and satisfaction that possible forever with God's people. Use your money and resources to secure that. Last, later in the chapter, Jesus says this. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Much. And whoever was dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? let me pause and just say this. So earlier um, when we were reading, it said unrighteous wealth, or here it says, it uses the words worldly wealth. And that, does, that doesn't really mean something bad. It just means the, the, the kind of wealth that we have while we're here on this earth. Here on this earth, and, and here's, here's another thing that you, you know about this. Here on this earth, we're only managers of wealth. Because in the end, we have to give it back. We have to give it up. It's not yours. We're only managers of what God gives us. It will fail. But it's a test. We all, we've said this before. It's a test. It's a test. It's a test to see if we can be trusted to manage what he's given us. And if we don't manage small things here, then why should we expect much reward in the new kingdom, property of our own that we will never have to give up? Pastor and author uh, John Piper summarizes what Jesus says by saying this. Don't worry about being a shrewd investor in this age. Instead, be a really shrewd investor by investing in People's lives. It's so hard to remember that, right? It's so hard to remember that this thing is the, the thing, the thing that we're doing right now. This thing is going to come to an end. It is not going to be very long before it's over. Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be far better if we could keep? focus keep the urgency of the kingdom in front of us so that we invest our lives and our time and our money in a way that's going to last forever let me read you the end of this story from a different version that uh that i think captures what jesus meant even though it's not exactly what he said um this is this is what it says now here's a surprise the master praised the crooked manager and why because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are, they are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right, using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival, to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so that you'll live, really live, And not complacently, just get by on good behavior. I I love what David said when he's sharing his goal. He's saying, I want to be alert, not missing any opportunities when I interact with people. Be on constant alert. Everywhere we go, every person we interact with, Are you ready and willing to pray, to pray with them, to pray for them, be on constant alert, ready to talk about Jesus and his kingdom, be on constant alert, ready to to serve your family, to serve your spouse, to serve your siblings, to serve your friends? Let me me bring this up to you. I don't know if you guys have ever interacted with someone who does something like um, Mway or Mary Kay or something like that. When you interact with people like that, they are on constant alert always looking, every relationship, they're always thinking, well, how can I turn this relationship into something that... You, you've experienced this. It, if they could be on that constant alert about makeup, come on, come on, that we'd be on constant alert for opportunities to forward the kingdom of Christ.